You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Fully Occupied. we got a great show for you today. Damien Ripucci joins us. Damien is the CEO and founder of Parsley, that's P-A-R-S-L-I-I. They are a rating system for uh, restaurant, uh, commercial real estate, and retail spaces. Uh, they're starting off in New York City, and essentially they will allow a tenant uh, to rate spaces side by side, just like you would on Best Buy for a TV or something like that. Uh, they serve brokers, tenants, and landlords. Uh, so they are a very early stage prop tech company. Uh, Damien and I talk a little bit about his experience, which is pretty fascinating. He had a restaurant uh, uh, business in New York City uh, where he learned the highs and lows of commercial real estate, hospitality, and the restaurant world in New York City. He actually wrote a book about that called Burnt, which is essentially his memoir of everything that he's learned through that process. And we talk a little bit about uh, what it's like to try to rent a restaurant in New York City and uh, how he landed on this uh, idea for his PropTech startup. Enjoy. Thanks, guys. Hey, Damien, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited that you're going to be, I think, our number two episode of 2023. So, um, and we got some interesting times ahead in 2023. So, I think this will be a great conversation. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about yourself. How, how, how did you? Uh, so, you're you're the co-founder, CEO, founder of Parsley, and we'll get into what that is in a minute. But your background, as I you know read up on you, was pretty fascinating, and seems like maybe to some a very unorthodox. You know, path into like a commercial real estate startup, but also, if you think about it, a very logical place to land as well. So I think that maybe you can unpack that a little bit for us. You, you were a restaurant owner, you did a bunch of different stuff before that. Kind of walk us through what what got you to this point. Right. Yeah. So um, I studied architecture, worked in architecture, uh, doing retail, um, uh, restaurants, uh, and then I sort of drifted into product design and branding. Um, but I had designed a few restaurants in the past and I caught the restaurant bug. So as I was, you know, my career was sort of moving into like the creative consulting, advertising, branding space, I still had that like, I want to do a restaurant. And, you know, I kept pitching it to my wife and she kept saying, no way, no way for years and years. And then I think I wore it down because one day she was like, okay, just don't tell me about it. I don't want to know. So I was like, okay. So I, um, I, designed, built, and opened my own restaurant in New York's East Village, um, and I won a design award for it. You know, it was an entire design project, the branding, the space, the graphics, you know, everything. And uh, I love taking little projects and making huge, immense projects out of them. So, uh, so I opened a restaurant, um, and I was continually punched in the face with... <laughs> hard lessons of like, oh my gosh, why didn't someone tell me this or that thing before? It would have saved me a lot of time, money, emotional turmoil, etc. Um, and a lot of that came from um, getting tied to a bad lease in a bad space with a bad landlord. And, uh, yeah. and lots of drama came from that. And through that process, I thought there's got to be 
a better way to pick a property. Like there's tons of data out there. Why can't that be harnessed to make a more transparent, objective, um, you know, process of comparing different spaces and coming up with the one best suited for your, your business. But I was so busy with the restaurant that it just, I, you know, was always yeah. kicking around in the back of my head. Then there was tragically, there was a fire in an apartment above the restaurant uh, late 2018 and the fire department put that out, but all the water came cascading oh. down and destroyed the restaurant. Brutal. It, totally brutal. And, um, you know, but I was, of course, I, I, you know, when I got that phone call, I was like, of course this happened. You know, what else yeah. could go Fitting wrong? end. Fitting end. Yeah. So <laughs> the bad landlord made it um, impossible to reopen. And in the time span that I used, uh, that I had waiting for insurance money and sorting out the legal stuff with the lease, I, you know, just started jotting down all these stories I had from the restaurant <clears throat> because I would always tell friends and regulars, you know, crazy stories like, fires, burglaries, lawsuits, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. And they would be like, you should write a book. And I'm like, I don't have time to write a book. So I started jotting down, I suddenly had time. So I started jotting down stories and, uh, and it became a book. And through that process, uh, the idea for Parsley sort of distilled in my head and I came up with a concept for what I wanted to do. So circuitous route but it brought me to the point where i was like okay i what do i do with this so i you know ended up launching parsley from that that's awesome um i mean obviously a uh, tough end to the restaurant life but at least it, it got you to where you are today i mean what, just i want to hit on the restaurant for a second what kind of cuisine were we talking here so um yeah i come from you know italian origins and i've been a huge fan of pizza for years and i thought Pizza is profitable. I'll do pizza, you know. But um, so it was a Neapolitan pizza restaurant at its base. But I wanted to have a fuller menu. I had um, uh, my wife and I lived in London for a while, and while I was there, I interned in a couple uh, famous British restaurants. So I sort of had a foundation of you know British butchery and vegetable you know cooking that sort of thing. Um, so I wanted to bring that simplicity to uh, the concept, but I also uh, for whatever crazy reason, coming from the creative development and branding side, I wanted to bring innovation to my restaurant and to the restaurant world. And uh, like, for instance, doing opening with no tipping. I wanted to grind my own flour. I wanted to do a modern American interpretation of traditional Neapolitan pizza. So I wanted to source everything locally. And so I had all these ideas. And, you know, what I was not really understanding was there's a huge learning curve to grinding your own flour, huge learning curve to figuring out how to make pizza in a wood oven. And I was mm. setting myself up for like lots of hard lessons. Um, and uh, so it was, um, it was quite an experience trying to wade through all that while you have, you know, people coming through the door wanting to have a good time and have good food. So it was just like yeah. super intense, super intense. Yeah, like literally they don't see what's going on in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, I so mean, what, that's one of the things about the restaurant world is everyone, you know, on the public face, it's beautiful and everyone has a great time and there's alcohol and great food. But behind the scenes, there's always turmoil with staff and with finances and with landlords. And so it's, um, it's a really di weird dichotomy that, you know, you have to put a really happy face on and no one really wants to hear your problems. You know, they just want right. to have a good time. That's what they're paying for. So you have to learn how to like shift really quickly between the two and just sort of put it all behind you and 
do your job, but yeah, do your front of the house job. So yeah. what? Um, you mentioned a couple of um, well, you mentioned getting into a bad lease with a bad landlord. Tell us a, some experiences about that because I'm, I'm imagine those might might be in your book. But what are a couple of uh, you know lessons that you learned from that? Yeah. So um, one of the biggest things I learned was uh, not to trust anyone. <laughs> <laughs> in that, you know, I came to, uh, I had, you know, been in business, worked in professional situations for years, and I came to the restaurant uh, development with this idea of I am going to, you know, act professionally and in good faith. I expect others to do the same for me, so I'm going to trust that we're going to meet on the same plane. And I was um, quickly uh, awakened to the fact that if you do that, you might get burnt really uh, badly. And um, the lease situation, when you're looking for a space, I, I, you know, designed, I had this idea in my head of the successful restaurant. I was pitching this to potential investors, talking about how it's going to be great, how it's going to be successful. So you have these sort of, your bias is optimist, which is great. Mm -hmm. You know, you should. However, you'll look at a space and think like, I can make this work. This is going to be great. Or it's in a great location. I'm gonna... And so you come at it with like, I'm going to make this work. It's going to be amazing. But then, you know, okay, I need to do my due diligence. And I'll, you know, I sort of look, try to find some stuff online. And I go to the broker. Hey, I've heard some weird things about this landlord with, you know, residential tenants. Like some people had thought he was a thug or whatever. And the, the broker says, oh, commercial tenants are different. It's higher rent. So it's more like a partnership. And look, if you just pay your rent, he'll leave you alone. No problem. And you think like, okay, I can do yeah, that. I'll, I'll, I'll ignore that red flag. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. And, um, and then uh, I, so I signed the lease and, you know, I trusted uh, an attorney who had restaurant experience to negotiate the lease. And, you know, it was my first lease. So I, I was like, he's a professional. He, you know, has a degree, et cetera, et cetera. He said, okay, you know, you, the lease is okay to sign. This stuff is, you know, typical. It's a little strong, but it's sort of typical. And then I come to find out, you know, nine months later when I get my first eviction notice and I hand the lease to another attorney, they say, oh, this is a really terrible lease, you know? And I went, <laughs> yeah. how was I to know this? And right. I realized that if a landlord has a propensity to, or a comfortableness with litigation, the chances of you being in litigation with that landlord are pretty high. So, you know, I, I, I started thinking like, I should have looked at the data. Like there's data out there that shows like, this guy has been in this many lawsuits, you know, maybe compared yeah. to other landlords, like I should have, you know, thought about that more clearly. So right. I, I realized that um, my rose colored glasses should have been knocked off my face and looked at it way more objectively from the beginning. Yeah, and having never, I'm guessing the search for commercial space, you were, you probably at, were at one point were like, oh, you know, I'm just going to check out some spaces. I, I don't, you know, let's see, let's see what this process is like. But then as I would imagine, especially in Manhattan, in the restaurant world, there's just, I mean, it's just the wild west. There's probably a million, million locations that you could look at. How do you start even thinking about narrowing it down? Like you pick a neighborhood, right. you pick a street, you yeah, find a broker yeah. to tell you where to go. Like what's your, what was your thought process there? So I wanted, um, my thought process basically was I wanted to be, you know, because it was pizza, I wanted to be in the pizza conversation. And so looking at all the, the pizza landscape in New York and the restaurant landscape, you know, you also have to come at it from a, 
you know, when people go out in the city, where do they typically go out? Where do they want to go out? Um, yeah. Where is your 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 core audience going to be located most of the time? And I thought the East Village is a great sort of the beating heart of a lot of the young restaurant going crowd. There's a lot of great pizza there, so you could you know and. It's not competition. It's more like a you know community of because the people go on pizza crawls. There's pizza tours. There's lots of stuff. So if, you know to right. open a pizza place on the Upper West Side, you're sort of an outlier. Um, opening in the East Village, uh, you're more in the mix. So um, that was the initial thought. So I was looking on the Lower East Side, East Village, a little bit in Greenwich Village, but I also wanted to find value because I didn't want to, you know, be saddled with a huge rent. Like, you know, everyone says like, oh, if you have a bad month, February's short, like, you know, rent is a big problem. So you got to, you know, you got to mitigate that risk. So um, that was the initial thought. But then I looked at maybe 40 or 50 different spaces and you see lots of junk and, you know, lots of stuff that just needs tons of work and lots of problems. But, you know, every broker just tries to spin it just because they want you to sign. They don't really, you know, care about what your success is going to be. They want the commission, which I, you know, that's how it is. So um, uh, I have a knack for, um, and maybe it's a curse, for looking at a bad <laughs> space and being able to picture what it can be. You know, like I've done yeah. this with residential apartments. Like this is a a crappy little apartment, but if like we take down, you this see wall, the potential. Yeah. yeah, I see the potential, and you know, then I you know create another big project for myself. So, so um, I I went at looking for a restaurant with those you know location, customer crowd, that sort of thing in in mind, and I came to realize that those are almost secondary to uh, markers for the potential success of your restaurant. Uh, you know, they take a backseat to other factors, such as the landlord. Um, and another thing that people often miss is property taxes. Um, you, I guarantee you that most tenants don't understand New York City property tax increases. And a large portion of landlords probably don't even understand New York City property tax increases. So uh, I came to realize that this is a huge factor. Um, it, in the success of your, you know, longevity of your business. Yeah, it's as much as a real estate enterprise to some degree as it is the actual concept of your restaurant. Obviously, once the restaurant gets popular and gets going and you start making a lot of money, the the risk of the rent and the taxes and the money that you've spent on the build-out starts to normalize and become a little less of an issue, And hopefully when you have a good relationship with your landlord. But I could see there being a lot of pitfalls in there, especially if you're not experienced or you don't have, you know, a, a good broker that you trust and is going to steer you in the right direction, et cetera. Right. Um, right. Yeah, it, it was and, uh, actually, it wasn't until later. I had the restaurant, I think it, I had the restaurant and I happened across an interview with Joe Bastianich and he said, the key thing to remember is every restaurant starts with a real estate deal. And I was like, yep. uh, of course, you know, yeah. so <laughs> screw that up. You screw the whole thing yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You set yourself up for major problems. And uh, and I found myself, unfortunately, in a situation with major problems. The first week I opened the restaurant, I got served eviction papers, which meant that it was a complete setup. The landlord was waiting yeah. for me to finish the build out of hundreds of thousands of dollars on his space finish, have a viable restaurant, and then get me the hell out of there. So, Jesus. and it was just, well, yeah, more drama from there. 
So. Well, that sounds like a, I mean, probably a valuable life experience, but, uh, costly. Talks. Sorry to hear it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was definitely valuable, but, uh, it was also really costly. I mean, you know, thank goodness my wife didn't kick me out because of it, but, uh, she should be sainted for all the, that I have dragged her through with this. But, um, but yeah, so through that, I came up with this idea for parsley. Like, okay, like there needs to be some justice in this. This is an asymmetrical uh, situation between landlords, tenants, and even brokers. You know, this lease process is asymmetrical. Um, how do we level the playing field? There's got to be a way to leverage data and insights in that data to um, make it more efficient and less costly. So, yep. And, and, you know, there's data out there. So, I mean, there, there's a ton of data, right? There's private data, there's public data, there's word of mouth data, there's data that can be generated and out of documents, et cetera. So like, tell us how you start, like, where did you start? How did you initially... Um, So I had a lot of uh, unfortunate, uh, for every restaurant owner, you have a lot of uh, experience with Yelp, whether you want to or not. And the problem with Yelp, which everybody knows, is that it's subjective. I could could see a person walk into the door of the restaurant and go, "Uh, they want to have a bad time. You know, you could, sometimes you get that vibe from people. And sure enough, you know, an hour later after they leave, you check your phone and there's a bad Yelp review and it's just like, oh, so... You know, it's subjective data. I did not want Parsley to have any subjectivity to it. Parsley is a very arm's length um, system in that we put every restaurant through the same uh, analysis process. We collect data that is publicly available or even privately available, but data that's generated. It's not anything that's a review or an opinion or anything like that. So it's all um, as objective as possible. We don't Parsley itself does not put in any um, uh, objective uh, opinion or bias to the um, the score or the the report that we generate for each property. Um, but uh, uh, at the moment, we're always adding more data points. But at the moment, every property gets um, uh, put through over sixty different data points from location, foot traffic. Um, as I mentioned, property taxes, litigation, all sorts of different things. And it gets um, weighted and boiled down through our system into a score. <clears throat> so you can see the score and compare that score to other uh, properties, the uh, scores in the, you know, say the area, the neighborhood you're looking at. And then from there, you can buy the property reports for each of those and, you know, line item, compare each property. Sort of like you're picking a TV on the Best Buy website. You can pick four, yep. compare them, and you can you know, just see, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's kind of like Carfax for commercial property. You get all the information up front. Because, you know, I realized firsthand, um, a tenant is left to do their own due diligence. And a lot of times, um, there's so much data out there, but a lot of times people don't know where to look for it. And even if they do know where to look for it, they don't know what to do with it once they found it. Um, and so a lot of people just, and they might not even have time, you know, you're busy running a restaurant, you want to open your second place. You don't have time to sit down and scroll through court records or tax filings and, you know, come up with an understanding of another, of four other spaces. So Parsley wants to, um, do the research for you and then bring, give you all that information up front to make your 
lease process more efficient. So the negotiation will hopefully be a lot quicker and more efficient, which will save you legal money uh, and, and also pitfall money in the, in the long run. If you're in litigation, that costs a lot. So if you can keep yourself away from that. I'm off yeah, on a tangent, it, but... Uh, no, no, this is great. Are you focused specifically on the restaurant space right now, or is that... Absolutely not. Or is it, it's, it's all retail, all storefront retail in New York it. City. So it's urban storefront retail, and a lot of that is, you know, restaurants. So, um, but we're business agnostic. If you have a storefront, it's, it's viable. Yep. And uh, where are most of the, the customers coming from? Are they direct like restaurant owners or like business owners who are kind of in your previous position where you're like, I have this concept or I want to open a new location. I got, I got to get some information on a neighborhood. Right. So the customer, there are three uh, distinct customer um, silos. One is the tenant, just like we're talking about uh, someone that, yeah, a single per a single tenant that wants to open a single unit restaurant or store, whatever uh, multi-unit tenant that want to open the next branch, that sort of thing. Um, the other component, uh, customer component, is the broker. So brokers can subscribe on a monthly basis for a professional account so that they can have the information for a, a property at their fingertips to be able to hand to p potential clients. Or, and also, they can um, decide whether they want to list a property. If a property is, gets a really low Parsley score, they could decide it's not worth my time to try to lease this, I'll move on. Um, or if it has a really high one, it makes uh, the lease process a lot more efficient. Um, and then the third customer is the landlord. So I mentioned Yelp earlier. Um, as a restaurant owner, Yelp would call me up. The salespeople would call me up and they'd say, oh, we just noticed that you got a bad Yelp review. Sorry about that. You know, and I'd say, take it down. And they'd say, oh, well, we can't do that. But if you pay you know, a monthly subscription fee for enhanced Yelp, we can push that review down, push your profile higher, help you get more customers. Mm. And it's sort of like it coerces owners to come to the table and play nice with the Yelp system. And I thought, why not take a page out of that book and, and coerce, incentivize owners to play nice in the lease process? So if you're an owner, if you're a landlord and your property has a low uh, Parsley score, you can... Uh, subscribe to Parsley to augment your score by certifying that you're going to, for example, give tenant improvement money, give rent concession, give tenant uh, protection lease language in the lease. Uh, you can certify that you have ESG practices in place. You can certify that you have upgraded your systems to comply with the upcoming climate laws. Like So there's a, there's a climate and environmental sustainability aspect to Parsley that um, you know, if, if landlords are doing right by the, the city, by the laws, by customers, they can certify that and, you know, just be more transparent and that, push, that increases their score. So we get customers from every aspect of the lease um, system. Yeah, but ultimately it, it provides the tenant with a lot more intelligence into making their decision because these are things that they may not have even known that they should be looking Absolutely. for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And a, a lot of times you can... Find you can come to understand some of these things if you have a good attorney and they lease, they negotiate the crap out of the lease. Through that negotiation discovery process, they can say, "Oh, we see that the landlord has done X, Y, Z with uh, you know they're trying to get you to pay this much property taxes, but 
This allows you to have all of that up front so the lease negotiation process can hopefully be a fraction of what it would be without it. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem with good attorneys and good brokers is that they cost a lot of money and they want to make money. So not everybody has the relationships or the Absolutely. ability to, you know, get the top tier attorney to help them find all those all those problems. Right. And you know, for even in my own experience, I saw another space prior to the the one that I had my restaurant in and the you know, I said, Okay, we can do this and my attorney went into lease negotiation and realized that the landlord was acting in bad faith. He had already sent another lease somewhere else and, you know, totally screwed it up. And my attorney's like, oh, sorry. Well, here's my invoice for five grand. You know, so like a week's worth of nothing is suddenly five grand. And that adds up really quickly. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah especially when you're not making money yet. Yeah, yeah, right. So what's... What's on the horizon for Parsley then? So is, is the plan to kind of focus on New York and, and, and build up the inventory there and, and work out kinks and try to figure out what, where, the, where the value drivers are for all those three key stakeholders and then expand? Is there a, yeah, what's the, absolutely. I guess, what's the, what's the big vision? The big vision. So um, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, New York is the initial um, traction location. Um, we want to build traction, get product market fit, um, expand through the city, uh, you know, make sure that we work all the bugs out. And then the idea, the next phase would be to roll out to the other nine uh, million plus population cities in the United States. And then after that, there are 300, 300 cities that have over 100,000 uh, populations. So we can roll out to other urban areas. Um, and that, you know, once we get that market, we can then take the system and apply it to office space, to rentals, to, you know, lots of different aspects of the real estate spectrum. Uh, cool. But, um, you know, one first thing, first things first. Uh, so this year is about um, gaining traction and funding. So I'm, you know, currently pounding the pavement uh, looking for seed funding so that we can uh, you know, grow our product offering and, uh, and get things moving a lot faster. Yep. Yep. And imagine unless you're bootstrapping the thing, that's got to be a high priority. Right. <laughs> yeah. You also want to make the wife happy, you know, so, uh, so, uh, just to, you know, like, look, honey, we got funded. This is an actual business. It's not just some crazy yeah. scheme. <laughs> I'm not grinding flour in the back anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, uh, amazing story. I'd love to continue to follow the progress to see how, how, how it, um, kind of materializes. But I think it's always key that you have that on the ground experience to, to call on when you're, when you're developing your kind of product roadmap because you, you know all of those potholes that people are going to fall into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's visceral. I, I uh, experienced it all myself. So I, you know, immediately I know like, oh, this is how it should be solved. You know, not like it's, it's, it's not abstract. I, I went through it all. So yep. yep. very helpful. Well, cool. Um, let's spend the last five minutes here on our rapid fire questions. This is uh, our popular, most popular segment here. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you a minute to answer it, and and hopefully we uh, we don't stump you too much. But um, okay. question number one, because we're fresh, we, we had a fresh 365 ahead of us. What's your uh, what's your New Year's resolution if you have any? If you're not into them, that's cool too. Uh, <laughs> New Year's resolution is to get funding. So whatever that takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. I love it. 
Um, well, you're a pizza maker, but um, what's your what's your go-to breakfast? Go-to breakfast. Um, pretty simple. Two cups of coffee, no sugar, little milk. Nice. There you go. Just get the juices flowing with some caffeine. Yep. I'm pretty much the same way these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you, well, I imagine your weekends might, might consist of um, some, some work, but uh, how, <laughs> how do you spend your weekends optimally? <laughs> uh, weekends, um, uh, even though I have PTSD from the restaurant industry, I still, uh, oddly enough, like to cook. So uh, weekends are cooking, tennis, uh, work whenever I can fit it in every other minute and uh, and then also just doing whatever my wife wants me to do so you know that takes up uh, a good 48 hours in no time yeah before you know it it's Monday morning and yeah. you're back in the grind I, I feel you um, outside of work what, what do you what would you um, what would you call your greatest achievement mm. greatest achievement uh, I mean I could say on a profound level, like raising a son, that sort of thing, but uh, yeah. without without screwing him up too much. But um, <laughs> he's only thirteen, so we still have time to screw him up. So I won't I won't say that. Yet. Yeah. Well, there's other um, factors in the world that could <laughs> yeah. influence that too. I yeah. And I grew up in the country. <laughs> My wife grew up in the suburbs, and uh, you know we're raising a kid in the city, and it's just like I have no idea how to raise a kid in the city. So uh, yeah. it were, it's by the seat of our pants, certainly. Right. But um, I would say probably the greatest achievement. Oh boy, I don't know. I mean, it's it's work tangential, but uh, you know, I wrote a book and that, published it. So that's yeah, something. that's no small feat. Yeah. Um, well, Damien, it's been great having you on the show. Like, uh, this is a standard question that we ask everybody. But who are, who are a couple of people you think would be great guests for us? So, um, uh, really interesting guest, uh, Claire Marie McDade. Uh, she is the founder of Arknura, um, and Arknura does um, analysis and consulting for large buildings, uh, from the construction to the systems operating um, after it's built, in order to make large buildings more efficient and um, increase their longevity. Uh, which is a you know environmental sustainable you know consciousness sort of thing. Uh, she's really smart. She's um, she's a couple years ahead of me in terms of uh, startup founding. But um, Artnura is an interesting company, and uh, she's doing some great stuff there. Um, someone else. Um, this is kind of biased, but um, Peter Keckley. Uh, he's the co-founder of Upworthy. Uh, it's a you know media company, not um, not quite related to what we're doing, but uh, I say it's biased because he's my cousin. But um, there we go. but otherwise, he's a super intelligent, interesting guy, and always has his finger on the pulse of um, of new developments. And I think he's developing something in climate tech, but uh, he's kept a lot of stuff under wraps. Moment, so I'm curious to see what he's up to. Uh, and then one more, this is completely unrelated, um, J.P. Smith. He's a co-founder of a company called Skolum, and it is a um, decentralized finance platform. And the reason I mention him is he used to be a regular at the restaurant, and he's, nice. in, his, he's in his low 20s, but he's um, easily the smartest person I've ever met. So uh, everything I've talked to him about is just super fascinating, and he's his brain is like, 
you know, five years ahead of everyone else's. So, Scalum is super interesting. They just got 20 million in Series A, so they're churning and burning. It's uh, super exciting for them. But I'll those are try to keep up when I, I'll try to keep up when I talk to him then. <laughs> <laughs> well, Damien, uh, it's been great having yeah, it's been it, great having you on the show. Thank yeah. you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, good luck with everything with Parsley, and uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Take care.